This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The Toronto Blue Jays officially kick off the home portion of their schedule tonight at Rogers Center, the newly renovated Rogers Center. You can catch the game across the Sportsnet television network or right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan will join the game in progress tonight following Flames Talk. It's Alec Manoa on the mound for the Jays. Six and four on the season, third in the AL East versus Matt Manning. And the two and seven Detroit Tigers currently sitting fifth in the AL Central. So 10 games in on the season for the Toronto Blue Jays. And now they get to kick off their home schedule in front of a sold out crowd in Toronto. This is hour two of Sportsnet today. We are live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And very excited to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to kick off the hour and uh, welcome in from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Host, producer, you hear him on Jays Talk and Jays pregame. Uh, Show Ali joining us to chat some Blue Jays baseball this afternoon. Show, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Hey, Logan. How are you, man? How's hey, it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks for doing this today, man. Yeah, of course. I am always happy to join. Always nice when here in downtown Toronto, it is, uh, it's like 24 degrees today. So apparently the Blue Jays coming back home have uh, brought the good weather with them. <laughs> good to hear, man. Uh, what's the excitement level like in Toronto? I know it's sold out for tonight's matchup and uh, 10 games on the road to kick things off. I'm, I'm imagining only added to the excitement for Jays fans to see this team for the first time tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. I think after a six and four road trip, uh, partly on the West coast, they've played the cards, the Royals, and then the angels this past weekend. I think any road trip is always kind of tough. Like if you're at a 10 game road trip right before the all-star break in July, I think a lot of people would say, Oh, okay. I can't wait to see the Jays come back home. But to start the season, you add in the Renos of the Rogers center. I think a lot of people are very, very excited to see what the team looks like in person. There's a kind of a buzz around the city. Like I actually went down to, the Rogers Center to pick up my credentials yesterday while it was still kind of calm. And even just people buzzing around the stadium, getting all the giveaways ready, the concessions being set up, all everyone kind of getting ready for today. There was a kind of like a special buzz around the stadium. It's kind of nice. So I think a lot of people are very excited. Uh, I, don't, I do not believe the Dome will be open tonight, but regardless, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of fun at Rogers Center this evening. It's a very small sample size to the season, as we mentioned, just 10 games in, but your initial reactions to what we've seen so far on the season uh, show. Yeah, I think the, the Jays, I think, you know, the expectations are pretty high. Like, I remember when you talk about, you know, like win totals and all these different things over the course of the entire season, there are a lot of expectations that are very, very high when you consider the Yankees not doing too, too much. And it didn't really seem like the Rays had done a lot. And now the Rays are completely are undefeated and they're equaling records that haven't been happened, haven't happened since like the 1800s. But no. at the same time, I think like when, it, when you look at all the new additions, when you look at what the revamped outfield looks like for the Blue Jays in Kevin Kiermeyer and Dalton Varsho, George Springer in right field. When you look at the, the play of Matt Chapman in a contract year, 
you look at the pitching staff, you, and I know Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi, there's some, there's some improvement to be had there, absolutely no doubt. But all things considered, I would say a 6-4 and four start, having played none of those games at home, especially when you consider the hot start the Angels and the Cards, who were a playoff team last year, have had so far this year. I think it's, it's a good start to the season. It is a perfect start. No, there's some grisly losses in there, but uh, I do think ultimately, Logan, people – People should be happy, given that it is not an easy start to the schedule. The second half after the All-Star break actually is a very favorable schedule, but they have one of the more difficult schedules to start the year. So a 6-4 and four start, I'll, I'll take it to start the year. You mentioned the excitement uh, around the renovations at Rogers Center. They look great. The pictures have been awesome. But I think for a lot of people, myself included, there's still a waiting period to see exactly how everything works out when it comes to the day-to-day baseball being played there because I know we've had people talk and the Jays have talked a lot about what they were trying to achieve, but, uh, and how they hoped it would play show. But I'm curious from your perspective, if you're fully bought into what we've heard from them, or if you're still one of those guys like myself, where I kind of want to see it for a little while here to see if it's exactly what we think it's going to do when it comes to those renovations, specifically in the outfield. Yeah, I think I, I'm with you, Logan. I think with the outfield renovation specifically and the walls being changed around, it's kind of like when Yankee Stadium has the, the short porch in right field or even more recently the renovations at Camden Yards in Baltimore, two places the Blue Jays play a whole hell of a lot. I, I am looking forward to seeing how it works. But then again, you look at some of the plays the Jays made, for example, at Angel Stadium just on this past weekend. There was a, a pretty early on in that series, there was a booming Matt Chapman flyout, And I think Mike Trout basically had to leave his feet to make the catch on that play. And Mike Trout is, does Mike Trout things. He's obviously one of the best players in baseball. But that's a ball that would have gone out with the new dimensions at Rogers Center. So I, I am looking forward to – and, of course, it, it cuts both ways, right? Like, if, if you're a, a pitcher who gives up hard contact and you rely on loud flyouts, maybe some of those loud flyouts might also be home runs for the opposing, op, opposing teams, the opposition at Rogers Center as well. But the way, the way the Blue Jays' top five have been playing when you look at Springer, Bo, Vladdy, Varsho, certainly Matt Chapman as well, who is like the AL hits leader or something throughout the first 10 games. I think there, there's going to be a lot of positives, but I, I do think there will likely be some, a, a bit of a learning curve when it comes to seeing how specifically how Springer, Varsho, and, uh, and Kiermaier adapt to the new dimensions at Rogers Center. Because even for someone like Kiermaier, who obviously this is for his first year in a Blue Jays uniform, Logan, he also has played at Rogers Center plenty over his years with the Rays. And even now it's different for him too. So I am curious to see how it looks tonight, but I have a feeling it will be very positive, but I'm, I'm kind of like you, I'm kind of like cautiously optimistic between now and let's say the end of this current homestand, which ends, I believe against the series against the Rays. Uh, is there anybody better to kick off the first game of a home schedule in front of a sold out crowd than uh, a guy like Alec Manoa who feeds off of this sort of energy and we know is going to be absolutely jacked up to go tonight? No, I think he's the best possible option. Like, I think the, the only other guy I think people would have been really jacked up to see would have been Kevin Gossman, just because he is just so phenomenal and he's such a talent. But I think in terms of attitude and like almost like a little bit of showmanship to a degree, I think Alvin mm-hmm. Noah is probably the best option, right? He, he gets fired up. Like, even when he struggles sometimes, which let's be real, is not that often because this is a guy who finished top three in, in Cy Young voting in the American League last year with Dylan Cease and Justin Verlander. And, and Verlander, of course, won. But Alec Manoa was phenomenal last year. And I know it's been 
like the season to date over two starts, much better second start for Manoa than the first start. But he's the kind of guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve, right? Like he is, I don't know about you, Logan, but for me, he's the kind of guy who has endeared himself so immediately to the fan base because he has this kind of giant, like this, this intangible sort of energy that, that kind of lends itself to what the fans want to see. And, and then you add in the fact that he is just also a very, very good pitcher that you add those two things together. It's just so much fun to watch on the mound. And you know, he, he, he'll tell batters to sit down and look back at him after he strikes them out. And we all heard the Alex Verdugo stuff over the past couple of weeks, but I, I love watching Alex Manoa pitch. And even when he struggles, he still manages to grind out a quality start, six innings, only a couple of runs here and there. So Against the Tigers, that's probably a pretty inviting first matchup, <laughs> given that the Tigers are a team. You know, I don't want to, like, crap on any team specifically, yeah. but this, this is a team that has struggled and, and probably will struggle because they're in the midst of a rebuild. They're 2-7, and seven, like you said, off the top. And I don't know. It's, they're, they're a team that got beat up, I think, already by the Yankees, already by the Red Sox, already by <laughs> the Rays as well. So I, I guess it's the Jays' turn to uh, have some fun here at, here at Rogers Center today. Aside from Alec Manoa, what have your uh, thoughts been so far on the rotation? I know there's been lots of questions for, uh, you know, what was Jose Barrios going to look like? Was bearded Kikuchi uh, a new thing for this group? Uh, Chris Bassett's first couple starts as a member of the Jays. What have uh, your observations been of the group as a whole? So definitely Kevin Gossman is as advertised, right? Like I think the, the first start for Gossman, he gave up three unearned runs over six innings. He had seven strikeouts. I actually think the second, his second outing of the year was also a, a no-run six-inning, seven-strikeout game. So Gosman has been as advertised. The guy's pitching like a Cy Young candidate. I have no complaints. We'll see and hear from Gosman tomorrow in the second game of the Tiger series. But you're right, Barrios, Bassett, and Kikuchi have had – up and down starts. Obviously, Bassett's first start against the Cardinals was abysmal, but I actually thought he bounced back pretty well in his second start of the season, all things considered. Like he did give up the home run early on, but after giving up the home run, I actually thought there was a chance things can unravel really quickly after home runs like that are given up. And he actually, I thought, held it together. He managed to get the win after going six innings in the second start of the year. So some things to build on for Bassett for sure. Barrio still looks like someone who is trying to find where his velocity and the location on the velo pitches specifically lie because his off-speed pitches, I thought in his second start, were great. The slurve, like the slurvy curveball, they call mm-hmm. it. Let's call it a slurve. The slurve looks phenomenal. The yeah. only problem is, as a starting pitcher, like if you're a reliever and you throw your slurve like 70% of the time, you probably will get away with that. As a starting pitcher, when you're throwing like 100 pitches a game over six, you're hoping seven innings, and you're throwing the slurve that much time, you're, like the other batters are going to learn to lay off your slurve, right? Like you have to throw a fastball to keep guys honest. And it was the fastball and the two-seam fastball, the four-seam fastball and the two-seam fastball, which is also referred to as a sinker. Like those are the pitches that got hit so hard in the second start of the season. So if he manages to work that out, I think there's room for him to still do that. But it, it, again, it, you need to have fastballs in order to live in Major League Baseball as a starter. And Kikuchi kind of got, like, he kind of got, it was maybe the recipient of some bad luck. Like, the, he probably should have gotten out of the first inning against the Angels completely unscathed. He was pitching very, very well. He showed some confidence in the fastball. Almost all of the home runs he gave up and a lot of the hard contact he gave up were off that slider, which was the problem last year, too. So I, I'd rather, I think that all of them have shown improvement, especially Kikuchi, because last year 
you remember Logan, this team was walking guys left, right, and center. And so through two starts this year, only two walks to a whole boatload of strikeouts. I will, I'll take that because I think the hits are something that can be fixed. And let's also be real the the, the second start of the year for Kikuchi, there was a point where, so he's a lefty pitcher. He throws a slider in to of all people, Shohei Otani, who is also a lefty batter. And this guy, like Otani showed off why he is one of the most freakish players in major league baseball. He jerks the bat inward and clubs a pitch to left center for an opposite field home run for him. I don't think most, most batters are like grounding that ball out if they try and swing at that pitch, and he hit it for a home run. So I think that's like Kikuchi got Otani on that pitch, but I think there, there are things to build on for all three of them. Barrios probably has the longest way to go, but that's a very long-winded way of saying I think they have all improved, but I think a lot of them will be, a lot of fans will be watching what they'll be looking like in their, in their third starts of the season later on this weekend. Shawali, along with us on the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon ahead of the Jays. Home opener at Rogers Center tonight. Show uh, host producer for our friends at Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, including uh, Jay's talk and Jay's pregame. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, show how it's gone for John Schneider early on in his first season uh, as the manager for this team. I know last year we got plenty of experience with him being the guy, but there's always that thought in the back of your mind, you know, is he coaching for his job when that interim tag is still hanging above him? What did you make of him going back to handling spring training and through these first 10 games and seeing how he's going to manage the team this season? I think I like generally speaking what John Schneider has done. Like, like with any manager, I think you're probably going to be put into some crunch time situations when it comes to calling up certain, certain pitchers out of the bullpen or, you know, allowing a guy to bat against a certain pitcher and not pinch hitting or conversely switching in for someone at the plate, for example, or pinch running or defensive substitutions and all these things. I, there have been some perhaps individual decisions I've kind of, I kind of thought are a little curious, but on the whole, John Schneider has done a phenomenal job. I think one thing he has instilled in this team, which I think really does jive with the new rule changes Major League Baseball has put in, especially the, um, the, uh, the larger bases, is that the team is pretty aggressive. And that's one thing we saw after Charlie Montoya was let go last year and he became the interim manager shortly after the all-star break. I remember one of the things he did was he instilled this like hit and run mentality. The, the, the runners on the base pads were encouraged to try and steal more. And it didn't always work out because stealing bases are, it's not always easy, but with the bigger bases this year, I actually think it's worked out pretty well. We've actually have seen more aggressiveness. And, and again, it doesn't always work out. You always sometimes kind of wonder if, if the decision for a runner to go from first is his decision slash the bench's decision, is it the player's decision? They'll never 100% know on any given play. But overall, I actually do like the aggressiveness that the Blue Jays have instilled or have been instilled with under Schneider. And then on top of that, they, they've stopped, I think, swinging out of their shoes every time they, they're, they're in a bit of a deficit, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know that kind of goes counter to what we saw on Sunday because they were down to like six runs. <laughs> Matt Chapman swung at a Reed Detmers pitch and hit a grand slam. But so far in 10 games, we actually have seen this team take a more, I'd say, measured approach at the plate. Like, they're hitting for contact. They're, they're trying to manufacture runs on the base paths. And I think that's much more this kind of style of Blue Jays baseball we will see for these kinds of players while John Schneider is the manager, and it's worked out so far, so I, I'll give him credit for that. Uh, two more for you, show. Appreciate the time this afternoon on a game day, pal. Um, talk to me about Brandon Belt. It's been a difficult start for him uh, early on this season. Uh, looks like a guy that's still a bit behind it, recovering from surgery. What's your concern level with what you've seen from Brandon Belt so far? 
I think with Belt, I'm not quite at cut him yet. <laughs> I'm not at like mm. DFA the guy just quite yet, but he, he did by his own admission, and I'll give him I'll give him a bit of a pass for this. By his own admission, because of the surgery, and he hasn't been healthy for a couple of years, he said coming out of spring training, right before the season started in St. Louis, that he felt he was about, I think it was like 10 to 15, 15 to 20 at-bats, played appearances behind where he'd like to be given the surgery, right? So now that we are 10 games into the season, he's not an everyday player. He's really only getting, he's only gotten, I think, one start at first base in 10 games. He's gotten a couple of DH appearances in there and has been taken out late in games as well. So Given, given all of those things, the only real way for us as fans in the media to really see what Brandon Belt has is, is really for him to get more playing time. And the conundrum with Belt at DH specifically, because you know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is rarely, if ever, going to come out of the game. And even if he does not play at first base, he's in DH in that game. And, and if he doesn't, if he's not playing at first, you can probably make the argument that Belt should be at first, but Kevin Biggio has been having a, a decent season so far, and you want to see what he has, relatively young guy as well, so he could play at first. So there's a bit of a logjam when it comes to who will DH. It could be Belt, could be Biggio, could be the other catcher outside of Kirk or, or Jansen, could be any one of the outfielders of Springer's getting a rest day, for example, or Varsho's getting a rest day. So all that to say, we haven't, I think, gotten to see a fair representation of what Belt would look like when he is 100% healthy. So I think these kinds of guys, especially veterans, we kind of thought with Whit Merrifield last year a little bit until he did get more play, regular playing time. They just need more plate appearances, more at-bats in order to feel more comfortable. So I think if, if you and I have this conversation, let's say a month from now, I might be more concerned if he's still struggling. But for now, I'm going to give him a bit of a pass, even though I, I would like to see more offensively. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, give me your impressions of Dalton Varsho 10 games into his Toronto Blue Jays career. Looks like a guy that is going to be a, a really important part of this team show. He brings just a little bit of, of everything. I don't know how you feel, but I've been pretty impressed uh, by the youngster so far. Yeah, I've, I've loved watching Varsho. He is so much fun to watch. He is... Uh, he's, He's not like uh, the most physically, uh, you know, big guy in terms of stature, but he has, his bat has been phenomenal. He makes some great plays in the outfield, and I know he had the the bad drop in the sun on Sunday, but a lot of people were having trouble with that. But on the whole, Dalton Varsho I think has been as advertised, and his his defense, the speed out there, the, the decision making. You've seen some great throws in from left field when he's been out there down to home to help save a couple runs. And I think, like, the, the numbers are a bit surprising to me, I will say, but his role on this team is not super surprising. Because if you remember, Logan, last year, this was a, this was a team that was so righty-heavy when it comes to the, the bats in the lineup. And his bat, certainly Brandon Belt, Biggio, all these other guys, Kiermaier, they helped break it up a little bit, but the power that Varsho brings – is, is definitely a plus when you ship out people like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez. So his presence helps to make up for that a little bit, which is always phenomenal. And on top of that, I just think that he's been a great veteran presence for, a, again, he's a relatively young guy, but a great veteran presence around the clubhouse. And he can be moved around the outfield as we've seen. So I am very much looking forward to seeing him play. I know he, he's batting cleanup, right? So great to see him be able to slot it in as a lefty bat into that four or five spot in the batting order to help break up the kind of parade of righties. So I've been really impressed, just like you, and I can't, look, I can't wait to see what else, uh, 
what else Dalton Farshaw has this season. Uh, so I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Should be a great one tonight against the Tigers. Uh, enjoy the game. Have a great broadcast, pal, and I can't wait to chat with you some more Blue Jays baseball down the road, hey? Yeah, call me anytime, uh, Logan. Have a great rest of your show, and uh, go Jays go. Can't wait for it. Take care, show. Thanks for the time, man. Show Ali joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline from our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Host of Jays Talk and a uh, big part of the Jays pregame show as well. You'll hear him a little bit later on during the Jays and the Tigers, which will be on our airwaves. Joined in progress tonight following Flames Talk. It is a 5.07 first pitch on the television side of things. Like I said, joined in uh, progress here on the radio side of things. Just after 6 o'clock, home opener. Uh, Taylor, are you excited for tonight's matchup? I am so excited. Sold out. They can't open the roof yet because of the renovations is what I'm hearing, but they're going to be sold out. Manoa's on the mound, finally at home. You should beat up on the Tigers. Should be a good one tonight from Toronto. We're looking forward to it. Uh, lots of Jays coverage coming your way uh, this season. This will be your home of the Jays all summer long here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We will take a break, come back on the other side, jump back onto the Flames conversation. That's uh, the big topic around here. Flames missed the postseason following a loss to the Nashville Predators. Monday at the Scotiabank Saddledome, just one game left to go on their season schedule. They've got the San Jose Sharks in town for a matchup on Wednesday. More Flames discussion next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Livingstone, who leaves it behind the net. Now Perry, the chance to clear can. Huberto holds it in. Huberto, Dimajapani, to Backlund. He scores! A fantastic three-way passing play finished by Michael Backlund, who ties the game at two. Unfortunately, that would be as close as the Calgary Flames came last night to a victory. A Michael Backlund marker in the third period ties things up before overtime solves nothing at three-on-three, although it was an entertaining three-on-three, only to head to a shootout where Tommy Novak who's had a red-hot second half of the season for the Nashville Predators, beats Jacob Markstrom, and ends the Flames' thin playoff hopes last night with a shootout victory. Predators still alive, but they'll need a lot of help from the Winnipeg Jets if they want to get in. Uh, It's Winnipeg's spot to lose, and we know for sure now 81 games in the books that the Calgary Flames will not go back to the postseason for a second straight year. In Sportsnet today, rolling on here in hour two, Logan Gordon along with you, and yes, still lots of Flames reaction pouring in after a disappointing end to their playoff hopes in a shootout loss to the Nashville Predators. Of course, lots of talk last night about the decision to use Nick Ritchie uh, third in the shootout for the Calgary Flames ahead of the likes of Tyler Toffoli and Elias Lindholm. In case you missed it last night during his post-game media availability, uh, here's Daryl Sutter asked by Danny Austin of Post Media and uh, Salam Valji of TSN uh, just on that decision and the thought process going into Richie uh, as one of the shooters last night. We hadn't seen Nick Richie in a shootout uh, situation for you guys. Uh, what was the thinking using him? Uh, he scored on him in a shootout before. 
pretty much, I think, just watch. You probably got to go somewhere glove on them, other than unless you're somebody like Johnny that can do lots of different things. And I guess choosing him over, say, to Foley or Manjapane, I guess that's just not much difference. If you do the percentages rods, it's you know what you're going on practice and going on guys that have scored against him prior. It's not. It's not the point. Really, it's had no bearing on the game. The difference is those great chances in overtime. Three-two game. It's like a playoff game, right? So there's the head coach on the decision to use Nick Ritchie in the shootout last night, but don't mistake that as the final straw to the playoff hopes for the Calgary Flames. As many have pointed out on the text line at nine six zero nine six zero, the Flames' playoff hopes uh, were already hanging by a thread heading into last night's game. Um, it just so happens to be a talking point. And, and look, maybe it's something bigger than that, uh, the decision that Daryl d- makes to go to Nick Ritchie. But as of right now, it's it's certainly not the main focus and the main talking point as to why this year's edition of the Calgary Flames will not be heading to the playoffs. Speaking of the text line, it is open to you. 960-960 if you're listening live. Send in your text. Uh, there's been a ton of them throughout the program. We'll continue to read them. Uh, and go through them here on the show. I know it's the biggest talking point in Calgary right now. Uh, you know, if you want a jumping off point to go on the text, uh, look, the off season is here now. I know there's one game to go against San Jose. Uh, it has no bearing for the Calgary Flames. We will talk on a game day about what we'd like to see from this group, maybe when it comes to some young players, some changes in the lineup now that the team is officially eliminated. We'll get to all of that. But now that the off season is by all means here for the Calgary Flames. What do you want to see change for this group? I've said it a couple times now. I think with Brad Treliving's contract being up, with Daryl Sutter's current position with the group, this could be another offseason of massive change for the Calgary Flames. But as observers, as fans, what do you want to see? What needs to change in your mind for this group to come back into training camp next fall if they want to change the result and they want to be a playoff team, is it players? Is it coaches? Is it the GM? Uh, 960-960, who read your text as the segment goes on. It's one of those things where it's an odd situation with Brad Living not having a contract extension. The Heat, whether you agree with it or not, that's on Daryl Sutter right now. And I think anytime you don't make the playoffs when you had the sort of expectations that this group has, you have to evaluate every part of it. You have to evaluate what the GM did, what the coaches played in that role. And I I don't think that just because Daryl Sutter received an extension early on this season, that that can play a factor in it. If, if there is a major discord between Daryl and Brad or Daryl and a couple of the key players for this team, then I think there needs to be a, a long and hard talk about whether he is the right guy to come back for this team next season. And that's that's one that doesn't sit well. We've had people texting in already about Brad Living's record and how many head coaches does does one GM get and how often can you blame the coach for the team's problems. Whether it's, you like it or not, I think it's a, a very fair talking point and I think it's one that will need to be looked at from all angles to see if that's an area that can be changed. And look, a lot of people have suggested, and I, I don't hate the idea that 
you know, maybe you look internally if you do make a coaching change, because I do think you have a potential head coach in the making in Ryan Huska. And maybe that's an opportunity to, to make a change without having to go outside the organization and make a big splash. I think that's something that could be explored by this team, but no doubt we'll have a number of different conversations and directions for this to go as the off season is here much earlier than anyone had hoped uh, when it comes to the Calgary flames on to play this from last night as well. It was a, a pretty depressing locker room last night for the Calgary flames uh, in there doing the scrums. We heard from Markstrom, Backlund, Anderson, and not one of the guys could find the words for what went wrong. Everybody's still processing, and that'll be something, no doubt, that happens throughout this week as the season wraps up. But here's a, a bit of Rasmus Anderson talking about the expectations that the group had internally for themselves and how frustrating it is to have missed out on that through 81 games. We had more expectations on ourselves than uh, than the outside world, and um, that just, you know, as I said, it's um, it's still fresh and it's brutal. It's brutal, honestly. It's just it's brutal. Hard to disagree with what Rass had to say. It is brutal. I think the players were wearing it last night, and look, deservedly so. They're they're part of it. They're a big part of the the process here, and. Um, that doesn't make it any easier for them. And for a lot of those guys like Rasmus, who, you know, were, were giving it their all and, and were big parts of, of positives for this team this season. Um, it's a, it's a gut punch and one that they'll have to use as motivation if they want to get better and they want to turn this around from whatever changes come from the off season. Uh, the text line nine, six, zero, nine, six, zero. It's been buzzing since. Last night, uh, a quick shout-out to Pat Steinberg and Azam Nanji, uh, our outstanding producer, and, of course, the host of Flames Talk, uh, going late into the morning or early into the morning, however you want to talk about it. I think it was like 2.50 a.m. before the guys got out of here, uh, taking phone calls, reading texts. You already know that Pat's the best in the business when it comes to that, uh, and he was going to give Flames fans every opportunity to uh, – to vent and to have their words expressed after a tough loss last night. And uh, we're going to try to do the same here for you on Sportsnet today. So uh, the text line has been busy. We'll continue to dive into it uh, starting right now. Uh, starting with this text from Stu in Calgary. Flames with the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. How many times do you put a Sutter on the, behind the bench with the same result before a total overhaul takes place? Uh, Travis in Boness, one of our regulars, uh, says as an Oilers fan living in Calgary, respectfully, I will say it seemed like Treliving has often had to make moves to repair problems Were these problems self-inflicted Maybe. uh, this text says Marshall will return to form next year. A change should be made for Sutter. I'm not sure if tree is the right guy for the GM role anymore. He's done amazing, but I think change needs to happen. Uh, this text says, how about Huska to head coach? Brad stays. He trades Vladar, ideally the draft for a current third. Uh, Wolf, Peltz, Dewar, Coronado all enter the lineup. Lucic, Lewis, Stone out. And fingers crossed that Oliver Shillington is back. This text says, uh, I've been a huge Sutter advocate this year. A lot of poor decisions made by him handling the young guns. Player usage 
Last night's decision to have Richie as the third shooter seemed like a big middle finger to the GM and the fan base. Knowing his leash as the Flames head coach is as thin as it can be, he needs to go. That is step number one. That text comes from Jesse in Calgary. This one says, Daryl's not the problem. This team is cursed. They have been since they were up 3-1 against Vancouver back in the day and lost three overtime games to lose the series. Uh, this text, everyone praised the GM when he made the, everyone praised every move the GM made when he made them right down to the stretcher trade. But now that the players have underperformed, it's the GM's fault. I think if Treliving wants to come back, he absolutely deserves to be re-signed. <laughs> the Treliving one is, is an interesting one. And it's one that we'll dive into more at a later date because the hindsight and how these things affected the Calgary Flames and mainly the Kachuk trade is one that's so interesting to me because I I praised him at the time like many did. And I think I still praise him for it because I think we know what direction this team leans and what the directive of this team is when given the choice between rebuilding and continuing to quote unquote remain a contender. We know where they they lean and that's always towards being a contender. And when a team offers you a package like Florida did at that time, I still sit here and say, look, I, I can't blame the guy for making the move that he did. I even one year in, and it was a bad year. Last night showed some fight and some anger from the guy and I was so happy to see it but let's be honest it's been a terrible year for Jonathan Huberto he will go down as having one of the worst season to season point totals like he's going to drop nearly in half in point totals year over year from last year to this year that's a terrible terrible thing with a massive extension coming your way there's no way around that but going back to that decision to make that trade and to eventually re-sign those guys before they played a game for the Calgary Flames, to me, I still can't I can't blame Brad for making those decisions because all the time that he's been here in Calgary, we know what the directive's been. It's the directive has been to win and to get to the playoffs as consistent as possible. It's never been about taking an opportunity to rebuild, even if it's right in your face and it's an opportunity to do that, you were given two choices and that's exactly, you took the choice that the organization's always taken and that's to, you know, remain uh, as close to a contender as you possibly can. And you just had one guy in Johnny Gaudreau walk out to you, you know, and walk out for nothing. Asset management was a huge conversation around Kachuk and Goudreau, and you had an opportunity, and you had Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto both willing to put pen to paper on extensions. I, I still think you do that. As hard as that is to say today, after the year that Jonathan Huberto's had, I still think you make that, and I still think there's a chance that next year we get closer to what Jonathan Huberto uh, probably had expected for himself and what the organization expected for him with the right changes. 
But as far as Tree's decision and his role in this, you you obviously have to evaluate it. This was there's nothing about this season that is above being looked at in my mind. But yeah, it's a tough one for anybody right now to to not look at those moves and and wonder what had happened if Tree made a different decision or where his responsibility lies in this whole mess. Uh, more of your texts here, 960-960. Uh, the fan feedback line always open to you. Uh, this one is uh, from Sandy. Tree out, Conroy in, Sutter out, Iggy in. That'll be an interesting one. Um, this one says, resign Brad, fire Sutter, hire Mitch Love. Yeah, Mitch Love making a, a name for himself, and it's only going to get... Uh, louder noise around Mitch Love uh, when the Calgary Wranglers get to the postseason again this year and continue to make noise. Um, I don't think that'll be the last time you hear Mitch Love uh, and his name brought up when it comes to uh, coaching decisions going forward. Maybe not just for Calgary, but for anybody else. Uh, This one says, how about Connie for GM? Yeah, there's a guy that spent a lot of years in the AGM chair and I think might be ready to take that next step. That's an interesting one to, to talk about. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, this text says it's going to be more than a half uh, drop in points uh, for number 10 logo. Yeah, that's close enough. I'm, math good enough for me. He's at 55 points. He's at 115. So, yeah, it's more than more than a half drop in points. So, yeah, really not good. Um, Miles will say here. Uh, oh, I've read that one already. Paul Lethbridge says the only thing to sort out is how to dump Daryl and somehow keep Chris. Now, Chris Sutter has been a bright spot this year. The uh, Chris Sutter dance cam has been an awesome feature at every Saddle Dome game this year. Um, show me text at 960. I'm trying to get to as many as I can here. Uh, this one says, uh, this is not a surprise at all that the Flames missed the playoffs. Lots focused on the extra frame losses. Uh, less than average goaltending in a pedestrian power play. Unfortunately, this team was on a trajectory to miss the playoffs since mid-November. Absolutely no surprise here. Last night's loss was irrelevant. Uh, this text comes in and says, I'm so tired of talking about Richie taking a shot. Why not, I ask. He's a first-round pick, definitive, uh, definitely has talent when he wants to, and had uh, scored Sutter's a genius. Nobody talks about the pathetic shootout moves by the stars in this team. It's a different animal to shoot out, and you have to change it up now and then. More times using different players. Simple is what is the issue, people. Um, look, I'm not going to – the whole thing for me, I'm not going to pin the season on on that decision last night. I understand why people are frustrated with Nick Ritchie getting the call, and I don't have a problem with Nick Ritchie getting the call to, to take a shootout shot. I thought he had a decent attempt. I'll give him that. I thought Saros did a good job of closing off the five hole um, that Richie was looking for on the play or on the shot, I should say. Uh, I didn't have a problem with that, but to me, when you know it's all on the line and you know whatever slim playoff hopes you possibly have left, I I couldn't leave to Foley and Lindholm on the bench in that situation. The numbers for me would have had to have been way higher than Richie scored on Soros one other time in the shootout. I, I, it's Daryl's decision. 
As Derek said last night, and as others said, Daryl's got two Stanley Cups. I'll never have any, so uh, you know I'm not one to question them. I'm just saying from my own personal perspective, and you can agree with it, you can disagree with it, uh, I, I wouldn't have been in that same spot. I would have gone to to the guy that's gotten you gotten it done for you all year long, and that's Tyler Toffoli. Again, does it have a, a big impact on the the larger picture of the season? No, it absolutely doesn't. We can talk about Nick Ritchie being in the shootout till we're blue in the face, but it doesn't change the fact that the Flames weren't going to the playoffs. Even if they win that game last night in a shootout, they still might not be going to the playoffs. In fact, it's more likely they weren't going to the playoffs anyways. But the thought process and the decision-making process, I think, is one that's fair to talk about today. Uh, a couple more here before we get out uh, and hand things over to the Hockey PDO cast this afternoon. Uh, this one says, regardless of y'all's Homer opinions, uh, but Markstrom has to go. He won't get any better. He was the reason for all of those one-goal losses. I Was was Markstrom good this year? No. Was he uh, you know, a massive underperformer and a big reason why this team didn't get where they were going? Yes, but am I going to pin it all on, on Jacob Markstrom and say that he was the reason this team didn't didn't make the playoffs? No, look at all the other guys that, that have underperformed this year that haven't matched up totals, that haven't brought a good enough effort in consistently for this group. There is no way that I can see this being pinned solely on number 25. And I don't believe for a second that he's done as an NHL goaltender. And there can be... All the noise with the play-by-play guys and everybody else. Oh, the Edmonton Oilers broke Jacob Markstrom, and uh, that's what that's a, it's a great line. And congratulations, they're going to the playoffs again this year and uh, get to go through that spring. Uh, but do I believe for a second that the Edmonton Oilers broke Jacob Markstrom or that there's no coming back from this? No. And in fact, down the stretch this season, we saw more in the last month from Jacob Markstrom that looked more like the Jacob Markstrom we've known in Calgary over the last three years. And that's given me a lot of hope that, that Jacob's going to come back more determined than ever to be the kind of goaltender that Calgary signed him to be. Again, I'm with this with Pat and he said it a thousand times uh, on the phone calls and on the texts and everything. How quickly do we forget what happened last year? That last year was some sort of an anomaly for Jacob Markstrom and that he finished second in Vesna voting by a fluke. I get it's what have you done for me now. And I get that the most recent results haven't been good. No one is letting him off the hook for that. But I'm also not ready to say that after one bad year, when his best year came just a year before that and was almost named the top goaltender in the league and could have been, it wasn't for an outstanding performance by Igor Shosturkin that season. Am I ready to throw it out and put all the blame of this season on him? No, absolutely not. The bigger problem is is that there's 20 different ways that you can spread the blame this year. And how do you fix all of those? Because I don't think it it came down to one guy. And I certainly don't think that that one guy is done. Uh, A couple more here before we get out. Um... 
This one says Sutter coaches to not get the next goal scored on them and not to score the next goal. It was successful last year as the Flames had game breakers. They did not have that this year. They never got the big goal when needed, uh, but we're in most of the games. That from Troy and Red Deer. Uh, John says, uh, the GM's responsible for losing Goudreau, Giordano, and Valimaki for nothing. The coach is responsible for missing on an impact draft pick by playing Markstrom at the meaningless end of the COVID season. Maybe out of those four opportunities, they may have found a few extra goals this season. I don't know about that. Um, this text says, Richie's shootout percentage career is 33% to Foley's 11. I can see why they went with Richie. Um... How about, this one says, how about Bruce Boudreaux, anyone? Uh, uh, we love Bruce. Bruce is a good guy, but I don't know that he's, I don't know that he's on the next plane to Calgary. Let's say that. Uh, this one says, last night sucked. The season was agonizing. With all that said, it's going to be another kick in the teeth uh, if Winnipeg does find a way to lose their next two games. I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. Winnipeg needs a point. They're playing some decent hockey. I think they'll be okay. Uh, Trevor in Red Deer says, who cares if Richie missed? They should have won against Chicago and every other crap team. Heads shouldn't roll. It was a statistically strange year. This text says very sarcastically, uh, I think we needed more Lucic and Lewis at crucial times throughout this season. And uh, Tony in Calgary will end us off here on what's been a uh, a very busy day and a very heavy day of sports talk for Calgary Flames fans. Uh, Tony says, though I like your living as the GM, however, this team has always had a forward group that's not balanced. 75% of the forwards shoot left. 75% of the wingers are left wingers. That needs to change. As for Sutter, I don't think Sutter had much to do, had much coaching to do last season. The team was good and the players knew it. I think that pissed him off and he overcoached this year, lost the room in doing so. They already have his replacement in waiting on the bench in Ryan Huska. Uh, thank you to everyone for texting in on the text line 960-960. Uh, I know it's been a frustrating 24 hours. It's uh, tough to get through this portion of the season, and it'll be tough uh, with one more game day to go. But stick with us. Uh, all your Flames coverage will continue here on Sportsnet 960, and we'll continue it uh, past Game 82 into what should be a very eventful off season for the Calgary Flames. Thank you uh, to outstanding producers today, Colton, Taylor, and Cam, uh, to Show Ali and Pete Labardius for joining us. Make sure you grab the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify. The podcasts are up literally minutes after every hour for your consumption. We will be back tomorrow on the final game day of this Calgary Flames season. Flames and the Sharks. Keep it locked here. We got Hockey PDO cast coming up with Dmitry Filipovich. Pat Steinberg is back after a long midday nap of taking your phone calls and texts into the early morning hours. He's back for Flames Talk with Wes Gilbertson at 4 o'clock. They'll take you to 6, and then we will join the Jays and the Tigers in progress for the Jays' home opener tonight. All of that coming up right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.